This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So one of the most frustrating things that people have been dealing with of late is being shut out of their social media accounts. Shut out because they're idiots or shut out because a hacker hacks them out of it? Shut out because a hacker acts them out of it. Huh. Which is a form of idiocy. Yes. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's just like call a spade a spade. I mean, I, I thought that I had uh, hacked myself out of an account the other day because I, I logged into Instagram from my computer and it, it just shut me down and was like, no. I was like, what do you mean, no? You're Instagram. You say yes. <laughs> they, <laughs> at any rate. It didn't say, I just don't like you. No, no. And it didn't say, like, I would do this if you were in Turkey. But uh, it just actually shut me down. And sa- and then I got a note saying, are you log- trying to log in from where I was? And it, I was. And so they seem to have actually patched one of the main ways that people were hacking into accounts, which is with IP addresses that were nowhere near the uh, target. That is a long overdue security feature. I think it's pretty cool. So, yeah. I mean, I got that. That is that is good news the the bad news is that criminals are i don't know would you say like one step ahead of consumers and the people whose platforms are used for crime or like a thousand probably about a thousand but at the same time the fact that uh with instagram in uh, particular that they didn't have a um any kind of verification when people were, were logging in was just kind of silly uh we've spoken to a lot of folks who've had that problem well it's just about time right oh it's it's way past midnight on this yeah, and so that is a good sign, but the problem is this is not a bucket, this is a net. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, also, the more, they, um, the more they secure their accounts, the harder it can be, to to get access to your account again. That if a hacker manages to get into it and they can use those security settings against you, that can make it even more difficult to uh, reclaim it. Yeah, I mean, this is happening more and more these days, these takeovers of social media accounts. In fact, in the past two years, it's jumped to an all-time high. The data that you have on your social media account is valuable. And that's one of the reasons why it's getting um, sold, bought and sold a lot more on the dark web these days. Except for my social media account, which has basically two pictures. I disagree. I actually, Travis, I bet you if we were to hack into Adam's social media account, first of all, we would hear about it. His Insta- Instagram, where he has two pictures, we'd hear about it in two seconds. And secondly, sorry, Adam, but all you criminals out there, he's going to pay good money to get it back. <laughs> so, Bo, we did it. We finally did it. I know. We I'm- finally got somebody from the dark side who's now come over to the bright side to tell us about what it was like in the beginning. We got a criminal. We did. We got somebody who was a criminal who's now a reformed criminal who's actually doing really good things and helping lots of people. Is a criminal always a criminal or are they, do they become rehabilitated? Well, actually, he proves that they do become rehabilitated. He's certainly reformed. You know, he's reformed as opposed to conservative or orthodox. No. <laughs> um, 
Welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam, Cyber Thousand Points of Light. I'm Bo, Cyber Magic Mind. And I'm Travis, Cyber Thousand Points of Utter Darkness. <laughs> and today we talk with Cyber Black Hat turned Cyber White Hat, Brett Johnson. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works, not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts. I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means... You get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance an electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com Here we go. Glad to have you. Thank God. Uh, and, and my apologies, I had a tree land on my home. <laughs> so they they finally got us into a hotel. I, I'm broadcasting from a hotel right now. I actually moved my entire studio in the room here and been setting it up over the past couple of days. Wow. That's impressive. Your studio, because you can't see a studio on a podcast, but your studio <laughs> has a logo and it has really good lighting. Wow. That's Thank something. you. And a Skeletor statue. <laughs> and the Skeletor. Uh, Brett, usually Bo would tell us that a tree fell something and caused something since he's out in the middle of nowhere. So. Well, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. That's basically the middle of nowhere. That could be the center of nowhere, actually. <laughs> yeah, that could be, you know, Mitch, the Gotham of nowhere. That's it. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, that's spoken like a true yank. Sorry. So, Brett, one of the questions I'm dying to ask you is your title, Chief Criminal Officer at Arcos Labs. Now, that's pretty awesome. How did how'd you get that one? You know, it's um, you're right. It is pretty awesome. It, 
I had met Kevin Gostchok. He's the CEO and founder of Arcos. I met him back in 2018, went into his office. We spent a couple of hours together and, you know, just kind of chit-chatted, talked security, things like that. Fast forward to late last year, he and I ended up on the same webinar together that was hosted by About Fraud. He liked what I was talking about. He got up with me after that and he was like, you know, we need to bring you on. And I was like, I'm all for that. So, um, you know, the, the thing is, is that I've, um, I've spent so much time in cybersecurity on the good guy side of things that I'm fairly well trusted in this vertical now. And um, the insight and the knowledge that I have on how attackers work and coupled with being able to see things from the good guy side now, it it, it lends a um, an ability to help customers, whether they're existing clients, potential clients, or just people in general. It helps them avoid that type of person that I used to be. So I'm chief criminal officer. I talk about upcoming trends, pull darknet intel, just any number of things that would help any person or corporation that may or may not be a customer of Arcos. So now you're on the right side of the law by, by definition here. How did you start on the not right side of the law? <laughs> is there, is there, yeah. So is there, is there an origin story here, Brett? I, I laugh about it, but man, it's, it's a long story. I mean, my first crime was 10 years old and you've probably seen me talk about this on other podcasts or interviews and what have you, but I'm from Eastern Kentucky and Eastern Kentucky is one of these areas that if you don't have a job and a lot of people don't have a job, not these people that they're just, we are a bunch that a lot of us, we will resort to whatever we need to do. That's the bad quote. You know, we're going to do whatever we need to do in order to make ends meet. Uh, my mom was basically the captain of the entire fraud industry. This is a woman that at one point she steals a hundred and eight thousand pound Caterpillar D9 bulldozer. Another point. She takes it oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine this woman? tramming a d9 down the road and that's exactly what she did just <laughs> oh i need her i need her over here brett i need i would like i need i would like that machine but that, that's right bo, bo is it's got his tractor but there you, know, you go he there would love go. that one yeah <laughs> so you know that was uh that's mom she took a slip and fall convenience store she acted as a pimp for a while uh, trafficking drugs all that kind of stuff my dad wasn't like that he, my dad was a good guy but my dad's problem is he, he loved my mom so much he didn't want her to leave. So if she wanted to commit a crime, he would co-sign on to if she wanted to abuse someone, he wouldn't step in the way. And my uh, my first crime was shoplifting food for me and my sister. She uh, My mom used to leave me and Denise home for days at a time. And this one time we didn't have any food in the house. Denise, nine years old, she walks in. She's got a pack of pork chops in her hand. I'm like, where'd you get that? She's like, I stole it. And I was like, show me how you did that. So she takes me over and she shows me how she steals food. And I'm like, great idea. So we start stealing food. Look across the way. Kmart's over there. Well, we start taking clothes and jewelry, music, toys, everything else. Mom comes home, sees everything we've stolen. Where'd this come from? I stand up. We found it. She's like, you didn't find that. Denise stands up. We stole it. My mom's like, show me how you did that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it gets worse. She calls her mom to join us as well. And we begin these trips shoplifting and that's the, that's the first crimes I committed. And that's. So your grandmother, your grandmother oh, yeah. was part of this thing too. Oh, dude. And my grandmother, my grandfather, we lived in a neighborhood in Eastern Kentucky. My grandfather used to sit on the porch downstairs and people would come up, come up to him just off the street that have VCRs or what have you. 
and they'd, they'd start now, Paul, here's where I got it. And he was like, Hey, I don't want to know where you got it. I'm not an FBI agent. How much do you want for it? <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was my life growing up. And so it's the family business. You went into the family business. It is, but I want you guys to realize, and I, I'm really adamant about saying this. I say that that's where my life of crime started, but just because I did that as a child, that doesn't mean I had to do that as an adult. I chose to break the law as an adult. My sister, for the she had the exact same upbringing that I did. Other than that one shoplifting experience, she doesn't break the law anymore. She goes off. She's a teacher. She's a great parent, just a really good citizen. I'm the guy that kept on going and didn't stop. And as I got older, I got more involved in those types of scams that everyone on that side of the family was involved in. So I grew up knowing how to traffic drugs, knowing how to uh, do insurance fraud, whether that be burning homes, faking accidents, faking stolen cars, whatever. I grew up knowing how to wildcat coal. I mean, just all these forged documents, charity fraud, everything that you could possibly imagine until I finally just kind of branched off on my own and went into internet fraud. So that's, that's where my life of crime began. Brett, could you tell us your online story, your first online crime story? Sure. So my, my first online crime story, I got married in the, uh, in the mid nineties. I get the worst first from my mom and my dad, my mom, the criminal mindset, my dad, that fear of being abandoned. So I told my wife, I was like, Hey, you worry about going to school. I got the job. I got the cooking. I got the cleaning, all that. Well, I didn't have all that. And what gave was the job. Well, you got to eat. Didn't really know how I was going to eat until I found eBay. And man, I liked eBay. Didn't really know how to make money on eBay. Were you a computer guy before that or? I was, I was, but uh, it was really just games more than anything. Mm -hmm. sure. And uh, so I found eBay and Bill Riley, he was hosting Inside Edition, this 30 minute news tabloid show. The one they were doing was one on Beanie Babies, and they were profiling Peanut the Royal Blue Elephant, selling for $1,500. I'm sitting there watching the show like, I need to find me a peanut. <laughs> Skip class the next day, go around to all the Hallmark stores looking for the damn thing, figure out pretty, well, not pretty quickly. It took me three or four hours to figure out, well, idiot, he's not in the Hallmark stores. He's on eBay for $1,500. But they had these gray Beanie Baby Elephants for $8. Buy a gray Beanie Baby Elephant for $8. Stop by Kroger on the way home, pick up a pack of blue rip dye, go home, try to dye the little guy. Turns out they're made out of polyester. Don't hold dye very well. Get them out of the bath. Look like they've got the mane. <laughs> it's true. It's I mean, spotty. It's like you get it out of there and it's like, going to have trouble selling that. <laughs> now, I want to hear how handy you are. What would you do next? Well, what happened was is I ripped a lady off of $1,500. I found a picture of a real one online, posted it. She thought I had the real thing. She wins the bid. As soon as she wins the bid, I don't want to be on the defensive of that conversation. I want to put her on the defensive. So I sent her a message. I was like, hey, congratulations on winning. By the way, we've never done any business before. I don't know if I can trust you. What I need you to do is go down to the U.S. Postal Service, pick up a couple of money orders totaling $1,500, send those to me. When I get them, I'll send you your animal. Hey, look, it's it, those money orders are issued by the U.S. government. They protect you and me in this transaction. She believed that. She sent the money orders to me. I get them, send her the animal, immediately get a phone call. This is not what I ordered. My response, lady, you ordered a blue elephant. 
I sent you a blue ish elephant. That's. And, Did you yeah. say ish? Now, come on, hold on. Well, I, it was. Hey, look, if you knew me, you'd know I would. I said blue ish. Awesome, awesome. And did eBay that. have any like protections in place at this point, or was it uh, still kind of their uh, early days? That is an excellent question, and the answer to that is absolutely no protections. So uh, between me and then later on, Counterfeit Library and Shadow Crew, we're the reason that eBay put those protections in place. It used to be when eBay first came out. You could, you could look up every bit of information on that buyer that you need to look up, name, address, phone number. You could contact them and have them, you could get them off-site very easily to have these conversations because they didn't have an internal messaging system set up or anything else like that. Because of what we were doing, eBay put all of those protections in place so you could no longer see what the, that identity is or anything else at that point. Uh, yeah, they used to be at least uh, notoriously hands-off when it came to fraud, as I recall. Yeah. Oh, and that's what I was going to ask. And when you said that, they were they were totally hands-off, and they still are to some extent. To an extent. But, um, but uh, less so. When you, What was the strategy when you said, because I think it's quite, it's, it's it was a very smart move on your part, when you said, lady, this is to protect you and me. Now, was that to instill confidence in her? Like, what were you trying to do there? So so when you're scamming people, you, you have to understand that most online crime is successful because of social engineering. You know, you take ransomware, for example. It's, it, you can build that ransomware product, but if you can't get it deployed, you're useless. And that requires some degree of social engineering to do that. So as a, as a criminal, what I've noticed, especially on the good guy side now, is that most of your expert criminals become social engineers as children, typically to survive their environment. And then once they become an adult, they choose to use those tools to victimize people to be successful. And that's exactly what I, I was no different in that. My, I, my, the goal on that was to put that victim in a situation where they were responding to me, not to let them gain control of that conversation. I wanted to be able to dictate everything. Because if I if I allowed her to reach out and try to put me on the defensive, I, I'm not in control at that point. I want to be able to control that. So the way I control that is, hey, I don't know if I trust you. So that puts them on the defensive immediately. But I've got a solution for that. The United States government issues these money orders that not only protect you, but they also protect me because, hey, I don't really trust you. So I want to make sure that this entire transaction is protected and that we have trust across the board at that point. That's how you how you tend to gauge the, or, or define those conversations, you know, construct that type of, of scam that's going on. If you think about it, that particular type of scam, that just that Beanie Baby story is kind of a microcosm of most internet scams that are going on. Crypto scams, Zelle fraud scams, all these other things. It's about that criminal building trust or getting that potential victim to trust them. So how do you do that as a criminal? Well, you do that through a combination of technology, tools, and then social engineering. Today, that's how that's done. So, you know, we inherently trust the technology which is given to us. We trust our cell phones, our laptops, desktops. We don't understand it a lot, but we trust it. It's that, it's that mystery of technology. We inherently trust it. You know, the people who built that, they've got us. They're going to protect us. No, by God, they're not. What, the, what people don't, don't understand is that criminals use a variety of tools to manipulate that technology. They use spoofed phone calls, they use uh, spoofed browser fingerprints or SOX5 proxies, whatever. And then finally, was, once you have that base level of trust established, then you see how good of a con man or a liar, social engineer that criminal is of manipulating you into giving up information, access, data, or cash. 
So let me ask you, after, after the Beanie Baby incident, did you just dive into cybercrime full time? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and it, it was it was a learning process. So Beanie Babies was the first occurrence, but then it went on to autographed baseballs. And I did that under my own name because I was very inexperienced. So Beanie Babies was the first instance, autographed baseballs. I went and got a case of baseballs and signed Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire's name to them, printed off my own certificates of authenticity. That prompted a visit from law enforcement because again, I was doing it under my own name. Um, but as I kept going, and, and the thing about it is, and we still see that today, very little prosecution. A lot of that is because of jurisdictional issues or just manpower with law enforcement or just victims not complaining. You get a lot of these victims that simply will not file a police report or try to follow up on things. So it went from Beanie Babies to baseballs to um, pirated software, pirated software turned into uh, mod chips on gaming systems, then into cable boxes and into satellite DSS systems. And then finally, Shadow Crew and Counterfeit Library pop up. And that's, that's this advent of modern cybercrime as you see it today. Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. So Bo and Adam, you guys know I'm a bit of a uh, privacy geek, if you will. Oh yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, totally. I, I really just don't like the idea that just about anyone can find you online, can find out where you live or your email address, or your phone number or anything. I just think that entire idea is super creepy. There's so much of my data already out there, but is there something that you can do? Yeah, actually, you can use Delete Me. Delete Me is a service that pretty much does the heavy lifting for you, where they go to all the data brokers that they have on file and uh, just pull your data and delete it on a regular basis. I use it. I like it. And they make it quick, easy, and safe to remove your personal data online. Well, yeah, with these data brokers, they can accumulate huge amounts of your personally identifiable information. And if all that information gets into the hands of a bad actor, that opens you up to a lot of risk. And if you act now, you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and use promo code WTH. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash WTH and enter promo code WTH at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash WTH, promo code WTH, which stands for What the Hack. And we thank you for supporting Delete Me and What the Hack. Counterfeit Library, and then Shadow Crew, for the benefit of our listeners. Explain what they were. So, 
to explain what they are, what they were, you have to kind of go back to what existed before that. So understand that cybercrime, by necessity, has to be organized. You can't just be one individual and be really successful at online crime. So break it down into there being three three necessities to to successful cybercrime: gathering the data, committing the crime, and then cashing out. All three of those things have to work in conjunction. If they don't, the crime fails. The problem is that one specific criminal, one guy, can't do all three things. He can do one, sometimes two, but rarely all three. And that's because of a skill gap problem, that criminal simply doesn't know how to do one of those things. Maybe he can't launch a man in the middle attack. Maybe he doesn't understand how to do a phishing attack, something like that. Or it's because of a problem with geographic area. That criminal is in an area where he simply cannot fulfill one of those three necessities. Think laundering money, okay? Now, before Counterfeit Library and Shadow Crew, the only avenue you had to engage in online crime together was an IRC chat uh, session, this internet relay chat, this chat session, rolling chat board where you had no idea who you were talking to. If the person you were talking to knew what they were talking about, if you could trust them, if they had a product or service, if they actually had it, if it worked, or if they were just going to rip you off because everyone there was a crook. Counterfeit Library and Shadow Crew ultimately solved that issue. It gave a trust mechanism that criminals could use. Now you had a large communication channel in the form of a forum type structure where individuals from different time zones could reference conversations days, weeks, months old. They could take part in those conversations, learn from those conversations. You knew by looking at someone's screen name, what the skill level of that person was. If you could trust that person, if you could work with that person, we had vouching systems in place, review systems in place, escrow systems in place, all with that singular purpose of establishing trust with one criminal and another when you wouldn't know each other's real name, wouldn't ever meet each other in real life, wouldn't know what each other looked like. Also, you could work together. So that was one, that was, to me, that's looking back, that's the major aspect of what Shadow Crew and Counterfeit Library were. This was a pre-cryptocurrency, right? It was. So you had a couple of precursors to today's crypto. You had e-gold and you had Liberty Reserve. So e-gold, think, think of e-gold as basically today's crypto without the blockchain, even though the, the founder of e-gold at that point in time really had this idea of what blockchain was. If you read some of his writings and some of his interviews back in the day, he really started to understand what blockchain could be. It just wasn't implemented in e-gold at that point in time. Now, Travis, in the most user-friendly terms possible, can you explain this to me? Sure. Uh, well, there's Internet Relay Chat, which was sort of a, uh, I think, um, the original dark web. Did I, use it? Did I yeah. use it or was it? No, not, no. How do you know I didn't use it? <laughs> <laughs> I would have been did, shocked if you had used it. Yeah. Did, did, Brett, did Brett use it? Brett, you dog. <laughs> you okay, dog. So, <laughs> so, so, okay. So this is a this is a communication channel for criminals and but other, not only criminals, also mm -hmm. tech people. I'm guessing, or or people yeah. who are developers, right? Got gotcha. a whole slew of people. I mean, anyone that was on kind of like like the fringes of the internet. Okay, and then how does that? I get that, and I think our listeners will understand that too. Now, how does did being there facilitate uh, doing crime? 
so if you're on the fringes of the net, if you're if you're looking at the stuff that most people don't really look at, you're you tend to see the, these things. You know, most people will visit Drudge Report, they'll visit eBay, Twitter, Amazon, yeah. LinkedIn, yeah. things like that. But there are areas of the internet where most normal people normal people don't frequent. <laughs> <laughs> so if you find yourself, so some there, naughty things are going on there, and right? But he's no, no, Adam. But he's not talking about the ones that people do frequent but don't talk about. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. But if you find yourself there, you're exposed to things that the typical person would not be exposed to, and you become more well versed in that, or better versed in that area. All right. If you're if you're going to these areas and you've already got a proclivity toward fraud or crime. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you start to see how you can profit. All right. And that's exactly what it ha what happened back in the day. But when you're seeing that area, you start to see these issues that are popping up. For example, if you're on IRC, anybody can be anybody. But if you look at today's dark web, trust on the dark web is a necessity. So you have these channels like Dread or Alpha Bay or whatever the marketplace is that's alive today. And a lot of these channels a person, especially on the dark web, it's different on Telegram, but on the dark web, trust is established by that username and that username is a persistent name. That name becomes that user's brand. So you know by looking at whatever channel or, that, or whatever platform that criminal is on, you know who that person is. Okay. So that's like getting verified by Instagram, Absolutely. for instance? Absolutely. It's, it's the same as that little blue check mark on Twitter. Absolutely it is. Gotcha. Now, it, it, with Shadow Crew, you there were members, right? I mean, you right. had a specific number of people that were part of it, correct? By the time the federal government shut us down, we ended with 4,000 members, which you look at things today, that's a very small mem membership. Back then, it was huge because we were the first ones on the block. You know, today you've got, back in 2017, you had Alpha Bay, which was a criminal network. It got shut down, 240,000 members. 2019 black market, a marketplace gets shut down 1.15 million members. Today, you've got individual sites, marketplaces, or forums that are millions of members large. But back then, 4,000 members, we thought it was big. <laughs> Little did we know. Now, did this, uh, this 4,000 member club uh, get you onto the U.S. most wanted list? That's a long story. Uh, but what you have to understand is that Shadow Crew is really the start of cybercrime as we know it today because we had this thing called the cbb1 hack we were spamming all this information we, and back then when you were doing a phishing attack you could ask 20 or 30 different questions and get answers to all of that so we were getting complete identity profiles just from a phishing attack we were getting pins we were getting card numbers in order for you and that that's fine for online crime but for you to be able to encode that on a counterfeit credit card or uh -huh. debit card, you have to have complete track to data. So on the back of that credit or debit card, that mag stripe has three data tracks. The first data track is the customer's name. Second data track is the card number. There's a forward slash. Then there's a 16 digit algorithm out the side of that. Third data track is called indiscriminate data. No one uses it. What's bought and sold is a second data track. For you to use that at an ATM, you have to have that complete track to data. We had the first part of that, the card number. We did not have that 16-digit algorithm. But here's the interesting thing. Back then, 
none of the banks had implemented the hash, meaning that you could have the 16-digit card number, put a forward slash on there, and then any 16 digits out beside of it, it would encode. You could take it to the ATM, pull cash out because we had the pin as well. So we, we found that out, started instead of stealing thirty dollars to $40,000 a month, it became thirty dollars to $40,000 a day. Started doing that, that attracted a lot of law enforcement attention. So we started to see, uh, we had an individual that uh, had intercepted text messages from the United States Secret Service about them investigating us. We had those text messages. We started to see IP numbers coming in from local, state, federal law enforcement, started seeing all that. And got really worried. So I, I was top of the chain. I was, I was the guy, the head guy at that point in time. I retired because I started to see that, got worried. And at the same time, I had happened upon this thing called tax return identity theft. It was stealing a lot of money doing that. Um, at the at about the same time, I stayed. maybe this is Joe Bianco's guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I was doing that. Our our forum techie. This guy named Albert Gonzalez, he's in New Jersey, and he's got a stack of white counterfeit ATM cards. And I was a Jersey guy. I get it. There you go. So he's in New Jersey one day, broad daylight, and he stands at an ATM for over 40 minutes, feeding in one counterfeit card after another, <laughs> another pulling out $20 bills, stuffing them in a backpack. Just so happens that across the street, a couple of New Jersey cops notice this kid standing there that long. One of them says to the other, let me go over and ask what he's doing. He walks up to Albert. Albert's got a wig on, wearing a, a disguise, everything else. Yes. Albert falls apart, gets arrested, flips, goes to work for the Secret Service. Well, no one tells us that. So long story short, Shadow Crew makes the front cover of Forbes, August 2004, headline, Who's Stealing Your Identity? October 26, 2004, United States Secret Service arrests 33 people, six countries, six hours. I'm the only guy publicly mentioned as getting away. They pick me up four months later and they give me a job working for the Secret Service. And I'm the idiot that continues to break the law from inside Secret Service offices for the next 10 months until they find out about it. I take off on a cross-country crime spree, steal $600,000 in the space of four months, wake up one morning on the United States Most Wanted list, go to Disney World, get arrested, get sent to prison, escape from prison, get arrested again, and finally serve out my time. I guess one of the questions is, uh, why Disney World? Why? You know why? <laughs> because you saw the commercial for the guys that won the Super Bowl, right? That's you know. it. That's exactly what happened. I was. I woke up. I had stolen $160,000. I was in Las Vegas. Had stolen $160K out of ATMs the night before. Woke up the next morning. I was on the United States Most Wanted list. And uh, What? That's a pretty impressive list to get on. It's, it's not a list you want to be on. <laughs> no. You know? <laughs> so I, I sat there and said it out loud I, after about five or 10 minutes, just staring at it. Well, Mr. Johnson, you've made the United States most wanted list. What are you going to do now? And I said out loud, I'm like, I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> that's, what I did. That's awesome. All yeah. right. Because I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, but if no idiot gets uh, to escape prison, you, would you right. escape jail or prison? Prison. Wow. And uh, can we can we tell us which prison? I mean, this sure Ashland, Kentucky, uh, uh, federal or or FCI. So Ashland, Kentucky has a medium and they have a a minimum security as well. 
where I was sentenced to under 10 years, I was sentenced to the, to the minimum security think camp. Um, I so had you a could job, just walk right out. I had a job working outside of the fence. And what happens was, is my dad, my mom left my dad. I didn't have a conversation with my dad for about 20 years. The man shows up at my sentencing. He stands up and he was like, your honor, I, I want to make sure Brett has a good uh, start when he gets out of prison. He's welcome to come and live with me. So my dad starts to visit once I get to prison. About the third visit in, he looks at me. He's like, uh, you know, I've been reading about you online. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, that's a lot of money you made. And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, do you think you could teach somebody how to do that? And uh, I was thinking the same thing. I was <laughs> exactly right. So when I first started to tell that story, I lied about it. And I said, you know, I, I thought my dad was back in my life. And um, I thought I just, you know, he just wanted to use me. The truth of the matter is, is that I, my dad didn't talk to me for over 20 years. And I think when he started to come visit, I think that the only way he viewed me was through that lens of my mother, that criminal mindset. So he thought that's all, that was the only way he could communicate with me. And I manipulated the man into helping me escape. So he had $4,000 cash to his name. He gave me that. He dropped me off a change of clothes, a cell phone and a driver's license. I taught him how to do tax return fraud and I escaped. But uh, I mean, there's nothing romantic about it. It's about me manipulating my father at the end of the day. I'm curious. So, so you, you were captured again and right. you served your time. And, and when you served your time, it, while you were in there this, the second time around, it sounds like you were rehabilitated. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, my rehabilitation comes from three different things. Uh, my sister had disowned me at one point because of a, a girl I was engaged to. That's the first turnaround is when Denise comes back in my life. It was after the escape. It took me two and a half years to really accept responsibility for that. Two and a half years behind the fence, it took me to realize that, hey, I didn't commit crime because of my family or my wife or my stripper girlfriend. I committed crime because I chose to. And Denise is your sister who taught you how to steal in the first place. Right, right. So, uh, and she's, a, make no mistake, Denise is, is, a, is an outstanding human being. Other than that one shoplifting thing, she doesn't break the law anymore. Got gotcha. you. But um that's the first turnaround. The second turnaround is, is my wife now, Michelle, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had gotten out of prison. I couldn't get a job at all. Um, couldn't touch a computer or anything else like that. I, I couldn't even work at fast food or anything like that because that was touching a computer. It got to the point that I couldn't buy toilet paper. So I ended up shoplifting toilet paper at about the same time. My wife, Michelle finds me. I finally found a job, manual labor. That job ended and I recidivated. I ended up committing crime again, um, got sent back to prison. And that's when I found out that for the first time in my life, I had somebody that needed me for me, not what I could give them. That's the second turnaround. And then when I got out of prison, I ended up reaching out to the FBI, this guy named Keith Malarski, an agent. He's retired now, but I reached out to him and I sent him a message saying, Hey, the work you did with all the cybercrime stuff, outstanding, nothing but respect for you, by the way, I'd like to be legal. The guy responded within two hours, took me under, under his wing, gave me references, advice, everything else. And that's what that's what finally got me off on this start of this legal path that I'm on now. Now, was he FBI or Secret Service? He was. He was FBI working out of the Pittsburgh field office. He was involved in a lot of a lot of people being arrested that I was associated with. And, um, you know, from there, it's, it's just uh, my thing now is learning what it is to be a healthy, productive citizen and also 
helping people instead of hurting people. I really take it seriously, this, this idea of helping to protect businesses and consumers against the type of person that I used to be. Now, how do you do that as a consultant these days? What's your, so, what does it look like? Well, what it, what it looks like is I speak across the planet. I've got my show, The Brett Johnson Show on YouTube, where I talk about cybercrime, security issues, personal stories, things like that. I'm chief criminal officer of Arcos Labs, working on a couple of TV shows. I'm a spokesperson for AARP. Um, and I, I constantly help law enforcement and any individual or business that needs it to understand how cybercrime environments work, to understand the types of crimes that are out there, how they're being targeted, and how they can protect themselves against these types of crimes. For example, just as an individual, there are basically three things that you need to do immediately. You need to freeze the credit of every single person in the house, including the kids, because children are the number one victims of identity theft. Understand that a credit freeze only stops new account fraud. So on top of that, you need to monitor your existing accounts and you need to place alerts on those accounts where you can. For example, Discover Card is a $0 alert. So place the, the lowest dollar amount you can. That way, if somebody like me gets on the dark web, buys your Discover Card info for 12 bucks, just pings it to see if it's alive, you get that text message saying, hey, Someone's trying to take your card. You can have it shut down at that point. So those are the two first things. And then the third big thing is, do you use the same password and log in across multiple websites? Well, 80% of the population does that. So use a password manager. I don't really care which one you use. Personally, I, I, I'm an Android guy. I use the one that's built into Chrome. All right. I don't care which one you use. Those are the three big ones. Now we can talk about other things than that. We can talk about multi-factor authentication, which I'm a big supporter of, but understand that that's just a tool. It needs to be used in conjunction with these other things as well. Think of as an attacker, think of an attacker as having a toolbox. And in his toolbox, he's got a variety of tools with which to victimize you. As a defender, you need to have a toolbox as well with a variety of tools with which to defend yourself and understand your place in that cybercrime environment. Have that situational awareness, not just when you're in a bad neighborhood, but when you're online too. There are predators online as well as in the real world, and you need to be aware of your environment at all times. What's got you worried? What keeps you up at night when it comes to cybercrime? What's got me worried? There, there are several things right now. What had me worried, uh, the pandemic for one thing. During the pandemic, you had the government that basically gave away money for free to any criminal who wanted it. No security in place whatsoever for six months. And we saw the number of fraudsters and cyber criminals explode during that point in time. These are people that now that they've got a taste of that stolen money and how easy it is to get, they're not going to go and flip burgers for a living. So they're now looking at other ways to profit. And what we're seeing now is that cybercrime, that platform is becoming evolved enough that you're seeing these more sophisticated types of tools being offered to the 98% of cyber criminals that are basically idiots that wouldn't know how to use these sophisticated tools if they could. But you're seeing these platforms and these services being evolved where, hey, 
doesn't matter if you don't know how to use a bot. We're going to have a bot marketplace where everything's automated for you. Oh, so it's like ransomware as a service and it's other. Crazy. It's yeah, absolutely gotcha. crazy. Yep. There's a thing yep. called Genesis Marketplace where it's a bot marketplace. It delivers to a criminal any any number of things that that person needs to take over your account. And it's so it's so successful in doing that that I've seen banks that the account has obviously been taken over, but because it's using the exact same cookie and everything else, the bank says no, the actual account holder sent this money out. That worries me to no end right there. That that type of uh, the way cybercrime is being evolved. Um, these things like this Zelle fraud, that worries me because you see the banks that simply refuse to have proper security or proper protections for the consumers. And they blame the fraud on the consumer. I think that's a real problem that needs to be addressed. I mean, in one sense, we're almost going back to the, the not so good old days where the consumer was considered collateral damage and the business right. was considered the victim. That's insane. Absolutely insane. And it's absolutely correct. Are there any platforms out there that you think are uh, really just doing it right in terms of uh, privacy and security? You know, as, as we get into Web3, think of Web3 as we're finally getting to that point where privacy is becoming important uh, because it's not really been. Um, you know, a lot of companies have placed that onus of privacy on the consumer, and I think that's the wrong thing to do. But And we're, we're reaping that whirlwind now. You, you're seeing these news articles pop up of, you know, like border protection, getting all the cell phone data of states potentially getting cell phone data of people visiting abortion clinics, things like that. So people are finally starting to realize the importance of privacy. Um, but I, even then, I think that it's the point of the of the company and the platforms that are being built to really respect that privacy. Uh, unfortunately, right now, I mean, there are a few companies that I think that that are very good about doing that. Most companies are not. One of the things that I was struck by today, I was telling Travis, was, you, you, Brett, you will not believe what I got via email today. I got it via email and via direct message at the same time. I was stunned. I got a message from Instagram asking me if I had logged on <laughs> from a specific location. Now, you know, there's scams, like a lot of them right. based out of Turkey, where uh, for ages, Instagram was like, oh, look at that. There's someone logging in on Turkey for this guy from Bakersfield, California. Right. And they know damn well that that's not the, the user in question, but they didn't flag it at all. Exactly. That, that kind of baseline incompetence um, is It gets what's, worse, though. What's driving I've, I've dealt with people that have had their, their Instagram accounts taken over by Turkish people, by Ukraine, Russia, wherever the hell that the takeover is happening. And then the legitimate account holder, which they've got the history of the IP, everything else, cannot get their, their account back because Instagram is horrible to try to deal with. And Instagram's not the only one. We've had a number of people on the show that have, have experienced that. It's a labyrinth, yeah. Let me ask, so can you tell our listeners a little bit about Genesis Market? So Genesis Marketplace, um, historically the way account takeovers used to work is a criminal would go on the dark web. He'd buy your login credentials for say PayPal or your bank account or wherever that was. He'd get, your pay, he'd get those login credentials. He may get some personal information. He may get a browser fingerprint that's associated with that account as well. And typically that would run anywhere from say $15 up to maybe 150, something like that. 
because he was getting data like that, the potential of that account takeover failing was pretty big because he didn't have the cookie. He didn't have the, he may have some things with the browser fingerprint failing. He didn't have the correct IP range, anything else like that. What Genesis Marketplace does, it's a marketplace of bots. Currently it has 400,000 bots. These bots range anywhere from $3 up to $400 a piece. The bots sit on someone's network. So networks, think of it like this. 41% of every single router on the planet has the default password. And that's just one stat that's out there. So the threat landscape, the, the ability to put bots into play is wide open pretty much, okay? So the bot sits on someone's network. You go to sign in to say your bank account. The bot captures your login credentials. It captures the cookie that you're using to log in. It captures the browser fingerprint as well. So you log in, you've got multi-factor authentication deployed. Your multi-factor triggers when you log in. You go ahead and you bypass, you, you sign into all that. Now you sign out because Genesis is sitting on your network and captures the cookie, captures the credentials and everything else. If the criminal comes in in a timely manner, and tries to log in right after you leave that session, guess what? Multi-factor is bypassed at that point. Oh, is it if because, it's within a certain window? Exactly. So multi-factor is bypassed. He logs into your account. He's got the exact same cookie, everything else. He's able to do whatever he wants to with your account at that point. Now, I said before, Genesis and these platforms are becoming evolved because they're marketing toward criminals that typically don't know how to use those types of things. Genesis makes it even easier. It's got a search function. So you can search for City or PayPal or Xbox or whatever account you're trying to take over. Because these criminals typically wouldn't know what to do with a cookie if they had it, Genesis has its own standalone browser or browser plugin that automates this entire thing for you. So you don't have to know how to use it. You capture the credentials, all the data that's needed to take up to take over the account. Genesis plugs it in for you automatically and then goes to the account for you, tries to sign in so you can do whatever damage you want to to that victim. So you may say that Genesis has lowered the barrier to injury big time. Very much so. And think of it, think of it like this. Most, most if the cybercrime criminal breakdown, that demographic. You've only got maybe one to two percent that are very sophisticated attackers. The 98% of criminals out there are not. They're social engineers. They, they're script kiddies. They're just reading tutorials. Because you've got things like Genesis that are becoming evolved like that, you've got a whole new demographic of cyber criminals that are now able to attack using these tools and services. So you have script kiddies, which is a great phrase, and you have uh, these boy probably like boiler rooms, I, uh, where maybe they're now located in people's homes because of COVID. But the Genesis market sells hacked personal accounts. Period. Right? You, right. you can scroll through the platform and see thousands of stolen credentials from Facebook. Well, you see Netflix. thousands of bots that captured those credentials. But and. So when you see those bots, are you able to, while you're in there, uh, view the specific credentials of accounts? You can't until you until you buy the bot. But the bot itself, so you're doing a search okay. and you say, say I want to have Gmail accounts. Mm -hmm. So you'll do the search and it will it will give you a set of bots that have Gmail access that are capturing okay. those Gmail uh, credentials, but it will also list everything else that that specific bot is capturing. So say you buy the bot for say $50. The mm -hmm. first set of credentials is free. Any new credentials that are delivered to you through that bot 
cost a dollar a piece. So this is basically like cybercrime as a service, Microsoft Office suite for the criminal Absolutely. who's looking to, they don't want to code their own word processing program. Why do it when you can buy it? Right. And just, so, okay. so, you know, Adam was asking, you know, what do I worry about? That's the type of stuff that I worry about. Oh, I bet. Now, now with the, with these bots, is it like, do you get any exclusivity whatsoever if you're paying for it? Or it's just, it's a free for everybody can buy the same information. They, the same well, thing. they, so, so the person buys that specific bot. No one else is, has access to that bot but you. Gotcha. But when you're dealing with 400,000 bots on that platform. You got a lot of bots it. to choose from. You got a lot to choose from. So you mentioned earlier about password managers. It, will that in and of itself keep our data from getting on Genesis? Or are there other things that consumers need to do? I don't think that that in itself. So as I said, it's, it's simply a tool. Those three things, you know, the credit freeze, the password manager, monitoring accounts, I view those as tools. And the thing is, is that most people, you, you take credit freezes, for example. Credit freezes have been free since September 18th, 2018. Today, there's only 12% of the U.S. population that has a credit freeze in place, which is insane. It's one of the best tools that you could possibly use so that people like me don't victimize you. But only 12% of the population have adopted that tool. Because of that, I, most cyber criminals, they're, if you're looking for motivation, there's status, there's cash, and there's ideology. Most of it is cash-based motivation. Because it's a cash-based motivation, you're looking at lowest hanging fruit. So if you're just doing the simple necessities, those three things, multi-factor authentication added onto that, you're not gonna be that lowest hanging fruit. You're much more protected than the 88% of the population that's out there. So that's what I'm basically advise all the time. You're not going to ever be able to protect yourself 100% of the way. But if you're, if you're practicing good security hygiene, the chances of you being victimized are much, much smaller than the people out there. The majority of people out there that simply are unaware or don't care. About. That's like having the house with the dog versus the house with no dog. Exactly. And, and the cyber, just for our listeners, the, a credit freeze is free. It is right. easy to set up, and if you have a service where you, you're monitoring through Experian or Equifax or TransUnion, they also will have a lock that you can use, which is even faster. It's not as effective, but it's, it's faster, and it will give you some of the same features. The bottom line is, if you're, if you're not using these, these features that are free and out there, you're needlessly exposed. You are. I mean, a credit freeze is free. The Chrome, I don't care if you're an Apple or a Google user, they've got built-in password managers that are free. Yep. The, the end, at the end of the day, <laughs> if you want to do, do have a takeaway on this episode, it's do something. Yes. <laughs> do something. <laughs> Instead just, of doing nothing, just yeah. do something. That's, yeah, my, yeah, that's yeah, my favorite yeah. movie line is, you knew and you did nothing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We, we've tried to get that message across, and we appreciate you helping us once again highlight that message. And I know you I know that you, that you try to get the message across, but to put it in blunt terms, if you don't do these things, somebody like me is going to get your <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth. And the only reason you've not been victimized now is think of it as the worst lottery on the planet. There's so much information out there, there's just not enough criminals yet to get to you, but they're coming. Thank you, Brett. That was that you couldn't have put it better. And uh, we really appreciate your time today. 
I, I can't I can't even begin to tell you how lucky I feel to have gotten you on the what the hack lottery. <laughs> no, hey, I, I'm just glad you guys invited me on. Truly, no, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna want you to come back. Outstanding. So, if, if people want to learn more about your work, where do they go? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Brett Johnson. I'm there. You can find me on YouTube. I've got the YouTube channel, The Brett Johnson Show, where I come in, I bitch, moan, and complain, talk about security as well. <laughs> Um, and Hey, here's the thing. I, I do work, but if you're an individual, if you've got a problem or concern, reach out to me. It may take a couple of emails, but I respond. Okay. And I don't charge people at all to talk about security or give advice on what you need to do. So feel free to reach out to me. I'm more than happy to talk to you and try to assist with anything. That's awesome. That's awesome. Listen, on behalf of all of us, thank you so much. Thank you. I truly appreciate it. So Brett is basically Thomas Davis, the scammer who wouldn't come on our show. Plus, now he's a good guy. Plus, he's way more fun than Thomas. Thomas is a pill. And Brett is also like, no, but you, I was putting the emphasis on now he's a good guy. It's pretty cool. He's a good guy now, but he still has a pretty uh, rocking um, Skeletor sculpture right next to him. So I didn't even see the Skeletor sculpture. What, who is Skeletor? He was the bad guy in He-Man. But why can't I join your gang? Because you are a whip scientist and you could be a whip villain. Not a He-Man. Uh, in my body or in my soul. <laughs> I think it was probably before your time. Or no, no, no. It was, it was yeah. around. I remember seeing it. I just thought he looked kind of like... A, the, a, he looked really like the kind of guy who would kick sand in my face. So I just avoided the whole thing. Yeah, all the toys had the exact same body, and they all wear, uh, wore um, hairy underwear for whatever reason. <laughs> Adam is underwear. Very special. <laughs> so look, if you want to protect yourself from bad guys like Skeletor, <laughs> I love it, Skeletor, it's now time for the Tinfoil Swan. The tinfoil swan, the paranoiacs takeaway, right? Basically. This week, uh, Travis, what do you got to tell us about Facebook? Facebook can be a privacy nightmare. Can be? No. <laughs> yeah, it can. It has your pictures, your contacts, your communications, some of your uh, messages. You know, if you don't lock it down properly, it can be a, a huge Achilles heel. It also has like your clothes size. Your friends. Like, neighbors. remember, people buy stuff on Facebook. They know like Pets. what you... Things you own, phone number, credit card numbers. Yeah, there, there's a lot of sensitive info there. So they suck. I'm sorry, suck is maybe the wrong word. They suck a lot of information into their uh, corpus. When you're logged into your account, there's uh, something called the privacy tab. And when you see all those options, you can just lock it down a little bit further just to have people not be able to see your shares, your reposts, your photos, or your connections. Okay, so then what's the point of being on social media? I know I sound like a broken record, but it, social media and privacy are like sworn enemies. They're like Ricky Ticky Tavi and Snake. If you want to share your photos with your friends or keep in touch with people that you went to college with or what have you, that's one thing. Uh, but you probably don't want to have that show up on uh, the first Google search someone does when they're uh, looking you up. All right, so just to clarify, this doesn't keep Facebook from accessing your data. It just keeps other people from accessing your data, correct? 
Correct. Yep. So, you know, if you, again, if you want to keep Facebook out of your business, get off of Facebook. That's the old uh, karate kid thing, right? Best way to avoid a punch? Not be there. Correct. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, rate and review. It helps people find it. And you may have noticed Adam did not whine once about it. Um, we'll see you next week. I'm being good. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. It's produced by Andrew Stephen, the man with two first names. You can find us online at loudtreemedia.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.